When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. As we welcome you along for the last one of the week, uh, we'd love to hear from you. Your thoughts welcomed throughout the morning, 0818 103 103. We've got John Paul answering calls, texts and WhatsApps are also available to you at 0862 103 103. And yesterday I was talking about the Irish Times, Ipsos, their opinion poll on the state of the parties. And and we were discussing that. But of course, part of that uh, survey that they do, they also ask people they're not just asking them how they feel about the various parties or how they feel the different leaders are doing they ask them a variety of other questions as well so the Irish Times today are revealing more information from that uh, opinion poll and I think I certainly was surprised uh, to read that there seems to be very little enthusiasm amongst voters for using the projected budget surpluses we know that the government are going to have a lot, lot of extra money in their coffers and money that they will be able to spend seemingly there's little enthusiasm to use that money to give tax cuts to people and the preference among the people that were surveyed was to spend the money on public services, on investing in uh, infrastructures. What the people who were surveyed, they were given options uh, to choose uh, from and the people who responded to the poll had little interest in saving any of the surplus, little interest in the government using the money to pay down the national debt, little interest in spending it on climate action, are establishing a fund to pay for a united uh, Ireland. And then when people were asked, less than 10% said use the money for tax cuts as their first first or even their second choice. So instead, 40% of the people that were surveyed said their first choice, if they had, could get to the government to tell the government how to spend any budget sur- surplus, their first choice was invest the money in building infrastructure, uh, things like public transport, build more houses, build more hospitals, build more schools. That was 40% of people's first choice. 25% of voters said their first choice was to invest the money in public services. When they were asked about that, it was things like invested in health and invested in education. And then looking at people's second choice, 24% were investing in infrastructure and 28 said spend it on the public uh, sector. So then when you dig down into the figures, uh, Fianna Gael supporters, because obviously people were asked their preference of how they would vote in an, if there was an election in the morning. So they were able to tell who were Fianna Gael supporters and who were not. And Fianna Gael supporters were no more likely than voters in general to prioritise tax cuts as their first choice. It was 9% of overall voters said go for tax cuts. But of the Fine Gael uh, voters, again, it was just 9% went for the uh, tax uh, option. And I think that is going to come as a surprise to the Fine Gael party uh, them, themselves because this poll came 
after the Fine Gael ministers and the Taoiseach Leo Varadkar have been emphasising in recent weeks that Fine Gael's commitment in the next budget is to deliver some kind of tax reduction, particularly for the middle income workers. I mean, we had the three junior ministers all come out and do an opinion piece in the paper where they were looking for tax uh, cuts, a tax break of up to €1,000 a year. We know Leo Varadkar has been talking about the squeeze middle, saying they deserve to get something back in tax. And I think the Fianna Gael as a party were kind of looking on the, the tax breaks or their promise of a tax break almost as a banker for the next uh, election. So I think they might be doing a little bit of head scratching when they read this opinion poll uh, today. And of course, that comes the day after Fine Gael saw their party support drop in the in the poll and Leo Varadkar's personal rating also took a bit of a battering in the poll. So today's poll is showing an increase in those struggling with the cost of living. Again, not surprised with this one, uh, particularly as the ECB raised interest rates again. More than half of all the people surveyed, 52%, say now they are finding it a lot more difficult to manage financially and that's up four percentage points since the survey was conducted last February. The poll also found broad support among voters for climate action measures, though there was very little support for the idea that climate action should be the government government's single greatest priority. Just one-fifth, 21% of voters say the government is moving too fast on climate uh, change. Four in ten, 38%, say the changes in policy are happening too slow. And then 30% say they're happening at just the right speed. But only 18% of voters said that climate action should be the top priority of the government. Almost three quarters of those surveyed said it should be one of a number of priorities and just 8% saying it shouldn't be a priority uh, at all. And a majority of voters believe it is reasonable to ask people to make changes to their lives in order to tackle climate uh, change. For example, 54% of people believed it's reasonable to ask people to try to use their car less. The same number also said reasonable to ask people to take fewer flights. However, a majority of people, 52%, do not believe it's reasonable to ask people to eat less uh, meat. All right, that's some of the latest information coming out from the Irish Times uh, Ipsos uh, poll. But as I say, I was quite taken aback. I, I thought more people would have gone for extra money in their pocket by put by more cut in tax. But looking at this survey, no, less than 10% saying that it should be their first or their second choice. But very much no surprise, I suppose, to hear people say we need to invest in infrastructure. We need to be building more houses, uh, more hospitals and more schools. Somebody is wondering, will tickets be uh, for sale at the gate for the Cork Summer Show? Yeah, I asked that question uh, yesterday when I had the uh, president of the Munster Agricultural uh, group on with us uh, who was previewing the um, uh, Robert um Harky, I couldn't remember Robert's name uh, when Robert was on. I, I did ask him that question. I also asked, will they accept cash as well as cards? And they will. So if you want to pay by card, you can. But if you want to pay by uh, cash, you can as well. And of course, we have our final family pass uh, to give away on the programme uh, today. The Cork Summer Show, it runs across this weekend, Saturday and Sunday. You can enjoy Munster's largest outdoor food fair, live music, 
horticulture, there's cookery demonstrations. There is so much going on at the summer show. Actually, if you check out their website, you can see all of the information. You can also purchase uh, tickets at CorkSummerShow.ie. And I meant to say at the top of the programme, happy Blooms Day to one and all. Today is Blooms Day. Big celebration of Blooms Day, of course, happens in Dublin every year on this day, the 16th of uh, June. And the reason why today is Bloomsday, it was on this day, uh, it was a Thursday, Thursday the 16th of June 1904. It was the day immortalised in James Joyce's 1922 novel Ulysses and the novel follows the life and thoughts of Leopold Bloom as well as a host of other characters and the book starts at 8am in the morning and it goes through until the early hours of the following morning and I have to put my hands up and say I think over the years I've made at least four attempts to read a Ulysses and I think page 52 was as far as I got. I just don't have the concentration uh, for the book and that's nothing against uh, James Joyce's writing. So people in Dublin today there's like they do readings uh, of it and they do musical uh, performance and you'll see uh, people dressed up and they'll visit the places that are referenced because obviously the book is set in Dublin on this day in 1904. So people go along and they visit the places that are referenced in the book and you'll see people dressed up in Edwardian uh, clothes. And what I always find funny is people try to eat uh, the food that was depicted in the book. I mean, you're talking about a book set in 1904. And I know one of the one one of the one of what was eaten for breakfast on that day. It's uh, liver and uh, kidneys, and there are a number of cafes in Dublin will be serving liver and uh, kidneys. Nothing wrong with that fried liver, but the kidneys. Oh, I don't know about it. But anyway, <laughs> uh, awful was the order of the day back then. So there'll be a lot going on. So happy Blooms Day if you are a Ulysses fan. Now earlier in the week, I mentioned that Brendan Piper of Piper's Fun Fair in. Kinsale was planning further protests in the hope of reinstating the fun fair in the town park in Kinsale. Brendan has written to local council members about the protests in the hope of coming to some agreement which he said would allow him to postpone these July protests. So this morning, Brendan Piper joins me along with one of the local councillors from the area and that's John O'Sullivan. Good morning, gentlemen. Come on, Patricia. And you're both, you're both very welcome. Brendan, if I can start with you, the bond the council want, wanted you to pay has been reduced. It's come down from €60,000 to €30,000. Is, is that, in your opinion, still too high? And is that where you're stuck on? Is, is, is that where the issue lies? Yeah, Patricia, 100%. And I, I must say I appreciate to the council the reducing the bond from 60 to 30. Now, Patricia, this bond, even though it was 100 euro, Patricia, I cannot get this bond because, Patricia, I tried up and down the country. It's called a builder's bond, and it's for builders. And because we're fun fair, we're not under that category. And uh, I was talking to one one company. I rang me at 3 o'clock, and, and fair play to the man, Brian, his name, he rang me at 9 o'clock at night time, and he said, Brennan, he's been trying all day to try and get me this bond. He says, I'm doing this these bonds for 45 years, he said. I never came across this, he says. They're builders' bond. They're not for fun first. They're for builders. And to get that bond, Brendan, even the builders, if you wanted the 60000 or 30000 you must show that you have that amount in your account before you can even get that. The builders can get that bond. And that's what it is. It's a builders' bond. And Brendan, I'm so, so sorry, he said. I can't give any help to you. I've tried. 
Okay, let, let, okay, let me bring in uh, local uh, councillor uh, John O'Sullivan. Uh, John, is it unrealistic of the council to ask Brendan to get a bond that he's explained is impossible for him to get? Well, I'm not into the to the, the minute of of bonds and that, but there are a number of ways bonds can be can can be put in. One of them is that you get an insurance company. One of them you get your bank. One of them is that you that, that you um, submit a cash figure that can that can be re- retrieved at the end of, of the time. But my main gripe here is 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 what has been what has become a bashing of the six councils in the Bannock and Municipal District. I was chairman of the Municipal District in 2022, up to, up to June of last year. And I, I was asked, when this issue arose early on last year, I was asked to, to intervene and to interact with, with the executive and with Brendan to see could we bring a resolution to what happened. And to be fair, we delivered virtually everything in relation to the fund fair, everything that Brendan requested. Save one and one, the one line on, on the email that I sent to him was, was that he had to agree the terms regarding the, the surface of, of the car park with Car County Council Executive uh, prior to, to, to setting up the, the fund fair. And, and like, let me say here, like, we, we did this, we were told categorically that we actually had no official input into it, that it was an executive decision, but on behalf of Brendan and on behalf of the people that can fail and on behalf of the, as, as all the people that had, uh, the generations that, that had enjoyed the fund fair, we decided as, as councillors to engage and I think we were, we were successful in all the issues that, that, that were raised regarding the fund fair early last year. We resolved them all. And the, the real gripe that, that, that I have, and I know that the, that the members have, is we are, as members, are being bashed Bad motives. We're being one at the last protest. One of the members was called was called a lawyer. At a at a previous incident, the members there was there was reference made to a member being heard on tape, and it's 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 out of control. And I I, I took grave exception to the email that came last Monday. Well, it came Sunday, but I didn't see it until Monday. And that a protest was being held, and that if we agreed to sit down around the table. That it would be it would be postponed. Now, to me, that's intimidation and bullying. That's 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 actually a matter that should that we should merely refer to the Gardaí as public reps. We're supposed to act independently, independently and impartially. I'm absolutely adamant that we did that, but I, I I'm just I'm just incensed at the way the members have been treated. And let, let me say and let me say categorically, the six members have on several occasions unanimously back to keeping the pipers in consent. But you're but saying this, it's an executive decision. You can't, o- you can't, can't overrule. Yeah, you can't overrule. Okay, but Brendan, we, I, are you... I, I just want to finish. Yeah. We have supported them. We've done everything in our power and I, we have never been recognised. It has never been been seen. And to get an email like this in the last week d- demanding that, that we meet, it's just... It, 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 it's infuriating and it's not good enough for the members as far as I'm concerned. Okay, Brendan, are you unfairly targeting the councillors? No, whatsoever, no. I've been very, very up to this, very, very firm with the council. We've worked all over the years. We've worked with the council, Patricia. And I didn't demand, sorry, John, um, I didn't demand a meeting. I requested a meeting I, to sit around the table with all the six councillors, but councillors with um, our rep for the sentence as well, and, and just talk this through. And, John, um, I had a meeting with you, John, in 2022 yes. of April, John. 
Yes. And you didn't. That meeting was me for three hours up in Ross Car yes. with the two of us. Yes. And you said we have to be, you'll be getting back to me shortly. You'll be referring, you'll be talking to the, um, the officials. Yes. And that was April, John. You didn't get back to me until September 2022, the 12th of September, when Hope Funfair, the whole show was gone, would have been packed up in all in King's Hill. And that's when you got back to me. And what you got back to me, John, was saying, saying, Maybe quick read through it. The proposal of 22 proposal to introduce a three-year lease that was um, the rent in, that was ceased. They did away yes. with that, which we're happy with. The yes. proposal to Sunca clause the fund for it to be abandoned is this rent is to be agreement per user. Will the fund for a family? Will the paper family can show that the rent as will the rent is. Um, not feasible, then the con- we couldn't pay the rent because of bad scene. The council will undertake the flexibility agreement on how the new service in the town park is to be preserved and to be re- to be agreed with Car County Council cyclists in advance. Yes. Now, this, you said about, but there was no mention of a bond whatsoever. There never was a bond, and there was no mention of a bond here, John, until I applied for it last year, until I applied this year for the... Um, the Tom Park and uh, okay, let's let, let's try and get clarity on that, John. When when do you believe, and when did you first hear that Piper's Fund Fair would have to produce this bond? Well, it was in the sp- in the spring of this year, and the the other the other part of this is, is we we were never actually contacted back about it. Brendan, in fairness, engaged with the executive. Yeah. And we we became aware to, to the, the two councils, the, the, the one in particular that was called a lawyer told us, it came to us and said that they were looking for a bond of 60,000. And what, what could be done about that? And we, we discussed it, but no nobody from Pipers or the group came to anywhere near us. But prior to the protest, then, the um, the Brendan wrote a letter to the, to the CEO asking that the bond be reduced to 30,000. And we were we were consulted on that because we had made such issue about it on behalf of the Pipers and the six members supported that, and that was offered to Brendan prior to, to to the last protest. Now we are in a situation where Brendan Piper has written in to Car County Council Executive looking for a reduction of the bond to thirty thousand, and then when that was offered, it isn't acceptable anymore. There's a credibility issue here, like okay, uh, uh, Sorry, Bre- there, Brendan, yeah. Yeah, do you want to yeah. answer that? Of course it will, Patricia. Sorry there, John, you're yeah, making stories up there. John, it's what it is. I, uh, yes, I did ask the, qu- the council could they drop the bond from um, 30000 from 60000 The reason being, it to be, as a, to be a lead, it might be easier to get a bond of 30000 than 60000 That's why I asked it. Not to say that I had a bond. I said it might be easier. I can't get a bond for something. Yeah, so sorry. Hello, Chick Brendan. Hello, no, Brendan. You, you, you did ask the council to reduce it from 30000 to 60000 Yeah, did. and that's exactly what John said. So, John, you're, you're incorrect in saying yeah. that John is okay. wrong, that he, he's correct when he says that. You yeah. did ask. I did ask, but okay. I didn't say that I, I could get a bond, Patricia. No, I, said, I, I never said that. Was, okay, John, I apologize, but I, I never I'll, said that. Uh, I try and get a bond for 30000 And, John, I tried and I tried if we wanted to get this bond, and I can't get it. And that's when the people that um, I got a phone call from, um, from Mark Green, the local Green Party representative, and um, Mark said he's after being contacted by a member of the public, and they've offered us 15000 from donations. And these donations, 
uh, John, these donations came from people from Port McSherry. Yeah, yeah, yeah you have 15,000, isn't yeah. it? You, you have 15. OK, yeah. uh, but again, John, I'm assuming you can't make the decision to reduce it to 15. Again, that would have to be the executive. It would have to be the executive. And there's, okay. as, again, there's, there's a credibility issue. A letter was issued on behalf of Brendan, of Brendan or whoever, asking to be dropped to 30,000. When we, we supported the executive and the executive notified him that it was now 30,000, it then became that, that that wasn't possible. There is a credibility issue here. Okay, is there I mean, any, is there any, I know, um, John, that Brendan has promised that he will leave the town park in the very same condition it was in. He's willing to bring his own engineers in and take photographs and videos. Is there any way that that could be accepted along with this 15,000? I, I can't say, but I, I, again, I, I have to say that this, there, there is, from speaking to the executive, there's a sour taste after getting a letter asking for something and then it, it's being reneged on once, once it was granted. There's a credibility issue there, and, and we, ha- we as members have an issue. We, we have done our might and main, and, and we've, been, we've been particularly hurt by some of the protests, I can tell you, by deputies calling us to engage. We have engaged fully. We have engaged all the time, and we have supported. Every time there was a motion passed at the municipal district, there was unanimous support to keeping the fun fair and concealed. Okay, and Brendan, do you accept that, that all of the councillors have very much supported you? Um, a question mark, Patricia. Why? A question. No, I just question. I don't think they... It's on public record. It's the, the vote, the vote, it's there on the, on the minister meetings. It was unanimously so supported. Why didn't, could I just ask, John, why did the, net, the six members of the council, local council, why would they not sit down with, me, with us and talk to us and um, just put us on the table and say what we can well, do and work together? And I just want to, I've, over the years we've worked with the council, John. I've done everything with the council. We obviously have that, well, that I, park in great condition. And, can, and you know, one more that? thing, oh. sorry there, John, before you hold web. John, I got a phone call for one of the different staff when I applied for the park, okay? And I was promised for one of the representatives, the local representatives. He said, this is what he says to me when, when this all started. He said, I've been, he said, I was in, I was in, um, I, I've been contacted by the official of the local, the official of the Cork County Council, Brendan. They asked the, the Piper family. Is it okay to turn the car in the car park? I said, Are you sure? They asked you, Oh, God, yeah. I said, But you know, we'll be coming in there with party trucks and we'll be turning. That's no problem. He said, That's where on tear. I said, We'll be staking the ground. He said, There's no problem. The, the, the engineers, the council engineers said they'll work with pipers and come up with a strategy where we might use a strapping system or weight system. And I said, is that right? And he said, yeah. And I said, um, and he said... OK, we're getting, what, what we're getting bogged. We're get, OK, we're yeah, getting yeah. slightly bogged down in detail. Now this is going over everybody's heads. Uh, let me go back. Let, let go back to John. John, would the six councillors be willing to sit down with Brendan and uh, his representatives? Well, or would there be any point? We, we, well, we've, we've an issue, and, and I listed a couple of them. One of, in, in the duration of this, one of the members was, was claimed to have been taped. One of the members was called a liar in public, and a, 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 a dial deputy, two dial deputies, in effect, one in particular, called us to engage. Even, even though that, that dial deputy's brother has been mayor for the last 12 months, and he didn't outline what he did, because I, I must say in fairness, Councillor Gillian Cotlin was mayor previous to this, and herself and myself engaged regularly to try to bring what we what we brought. 
So are you saying this? Are you saying there's no point? Is 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 that? Well, there's a credibility. There's a credibility issue. I mean, we, we've a member members a member that, that turned up to the last process was called a lawyer. Or, 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 well, Brendan, you wouldn't. We, I mean, Brendan, you yeah, wouldn't want yeah. that to happen, surely. No, and that didn't happen, which is if he looked back in any tapes or any recording that was done, he wasn't called a lawyer. He said that he told a lie. There's a difference, John. Well, well, that's, that's, that, you know, that's, that's some, that that is semantics. That is semantics. Okay, so I okay, so where so where where are we at, John? It sounds like the, if the other council members are feeling as strongly as you, you're very annoyed over this. You're not willing to sit down with Brendan. Well, the, the least we need to get for the staff is we need to get an apology for what's been said to, to the members. That's the very least. Brendan, would you be willing to do that? Apology, but uh, I've. I've no control, John. I've only control for myself. I've no control how people react and what people say. People are so passionate about this, what's going on. It's worth our generation. But I'm sorry, John, I've no... I apologise if you feel that well, way. But well, there's, there's... I'm not asking for it here today. The, the group itself can issue an apology and put it put out in the, in the public domain. I'm sure Patricia will cover it if, if an email was issued or whatever. And maybe that might be a starting point. But until such time as that happens... I can't see the, the members coming together. And uh, mind you, the members are fully in support of retaining the fun fair in Kinsale, but it has got to be done with respect. Okay. And, uh, and I, I, I guaranteed um, Brendan that I'd be fair to him the day, the first thing I met him. But fairness works two ways, and we, the members, don't feel that we've been treated fairly the way this is carried out. Okay, we're not going to sort it here. It's an issue I know we will come back to. But, gentlemen, we thank you both for joining us on the programme this morning. Good morning to you. you. Bye-bye. Brendan Piper from Piper's uh, Fund Fair and Bandon Kinsale, uh, locally elected councillor John O'Sullivan. A number of weeks ago, we spoke with a member of Damien uh, Horgan from Donnerell's family who outlined the catastrophic injuries Damien had received following a motorbike accident in Vietnam. We spoke about a GoFundMe account set up to cover the huge financial medical costs. So, to update us on the fund, but more importantly on Damien's progress, I'm joined live from Vietnam this morning by his brother Coleman. Uh, Good morning to Coleman. Good morning, Patricia. And it's great. It's great to have you on the programme. I suppose, start with the very latest on uh, Damien and how is he doing today? Well, um, I'm not long back from the hospital. Um, it's 10 to 5 here at the moment. We have an allotted visiting slot every day that we can go in and see him for about 10 minutes or thereabouts. And we'd often have a briefing then with a doctor afterwards. So he's stable today. Um, he's still on a ventilator, but the level of oxygen that he's receiving has remained stable. Uh, it's come down from 100% to 40% over the last number of days. Uh, all of his other vitals are stable. Um, his CO2 levels and BP are good uh, within normal range, but I suppose he's stable on the supports that are being provided to him. He's still critically unwell, but uh, he has made big improvements in the last uh, maybe 15, 16 days and he's holding his own at the moment. I was reading an update on the GoFundMe account um, I think from from uh, one of Damien's uh, nieces. Um, he's aware isn't he that their family members are there. He's hearing at least. He is. Uh, the goal of their treatment at the moment is to wean him from the ventilation. That's That's the ultimate goal where he can breathe independently and 
towards that goal, uh, they're reducing his sedation. So at the moment today, he isn't under any sedation. So the doctors explained to me that he's reacting to noise within the room he's in, but his eyes are also reactive to light and changes in front of him. So uh, today, for example, um, I went in and I had my chat with him um, face to face. I was able to hold his hand. His eyes seemed to be moving and reacting to the words that I was saying. Brilliant. Um, which is fantastic for for all of us, really. Um, it gives us a great lift when we have that responsiveness from him because there were five weeks when there was nothing, yeah. nothing like that, nothing being fed back to us by him. So it's a great boost to all of us. Did he, has he had a brain scan? He has. Um, he eventually had after he was removed from one of the uh, uh, other support machines, the ECMO machine, and um, they don't have any concerns about his brain activity um, based on those scans. So we'll see how he responds now with the level of sedation being vastly reduced. Um, you know, un- unfortunately, one of the side effects is that he's probably experiencing some pain that he wouldn't have been when he was under full sedation, but they're they're managing that as well, uh, along with however he responds to the sedation being reduced. Yeah, you don't, you certainly don't want him in, in any kind of pain. So, so what, can you list what are the physical damages to Damien? So he, um, he fractured all the ribs on his left-hand side. Um, he was in contact with a barrier um, as, uh, when he had a, a crash from a motorbike. So the, those ribs have been set back into place, but he will require surgery to stabilize them properly because of the, the level of the damage to some of those ribs. Um, when they became damaged, they punctured his left lung um, and they punctured his bronchus. Now, thankfully, in week two, they were able to repair damage to his bronchus and um, carry out some repairs to his uh, left lung. Um, unfortunately, because of him being on sedation for so long, he developed pneumonia in his right lung, the one that wasn't damaged. So he still has um, a, quite a severe chest infection in his right lung, which is slowing his recovery but it's being treated by um, three different antibiotics at the moment, and he is making slow improvements in that regard. Um, he had his uh, spleen removed quite soon after the accident occurred um, uh, as a result of a lot of blood loss during the surgery to repair his bronchus. He had multi-organ failure, the knock-on of which means that he had and still has kidney failure. So he is going uh, undertaking dialysis every couple of days, um, different forms of dialysis based on blood results that they take on the morning. So sometimes he's on CRRT dialysis and sometimes he's on IHD dialysis. Um, God, it's, yeah, it's, that, that it's, would, it's incredible. It's just, it. it's just incredible what, uh, what, what he's going to going through. And I suppose the hope as well will be, um, Coleman, that, you know, time will also be a he- healer and some of the damage may hopefully resolve itself. Indeed, um, I think their fear is because of being him being on ventilation for so long Um And I guess in the first week of his care in a different hospital, they weren't fully aware of the extent of the damage to his lungs. 
that treatment was perhaps delayed. So that slows down his progress, certainly. And they are always keen to emphasize to us that his recovery will be slow um, and it will take a long time. Um, I think, you know, we, a good day for us is when he's stable, when his health hasn't disimproved and, you know, we take any little bit of improvement um, as a massive positive for us. So we had dark days, we'll say two and a half weeks ago, when I suppose we, we thought things couldn't get any worse. And then they were suggesting a worry that he could have permanent lung damage. But since then, it's like he heard it in the background and he started making improvements since oh, then. And, bless, um, bless. and, and you, hold like on to, you hold on to every little bit of hope. You do, you do. Look, it gets us through the darker days. Um, you know, we're all very much pulling together. I think anyone in North Cork and beyond that knows our family know that, you know, we're, we're very much a, a tightly knit family and a tightly knit community. And we very much rely on ourselves for support, our immediate family and in-laws for support. But the local community um, have been fantastic. Uh, every message, every mass, every prayer, every candle that's being lit, is it just helps us along. It helps us get through every day. Yeah, people are great, and and I know the GoFundMe uh, page. Well, while it's gone over a um, hundred thousand, most of that has already been paid out, hasn't it, to the hospital? It has. Um, currently, the current um, account is that we we've paid eighty three thousand uh, to the hospital for his care. Um, Unfortunately, because of the nature of the supports he needs, uh, the cost, it does vary from day to day. But if it's best for him to have a particular form of um, dialysis, uh, it's called CRRT, that can cost up to €2,000 per day. Um, on days when he's not having dialysis, the costs of his care are about €800 per day. Goodness. So well, I, uh, I can see why the GoFundMe account is so important. It is, and look, it, it's hard to budget. Um, you know, where it's an unknown how long he'll be in ICU. It's you know, it's unknown how long he'll he'll need medical care over there. Um, but you know, every every contribution, every donation is is greatly appreciated. Um, you know, it's primarily being used to directly pay for his care. Um, so it's very much all appreciated. Yeah, so well, well done to everyone who has donated. And I know there's been little fundraisers have been going on. I saw, I think it was one of the little Montessori uh, school uh, in the area did a pyjama day. And I just thought that was such a sweet thing uh, to do. So the GoFundMe pages helped Damien in his fight for uh, life. And we're asking people uh, to please donate. Because Coleman, the long term goal is to stabilise Damien and bring him back home. It is. That's a long-term goal. Um, that conversation has started. Um, so there'll have to be a lot of uh, planning around that. Um, it's it's hard to determine in what condition it will be safe to transport him home. Obviously, there's a risk associated with flying him back. He'll need a lot of support, but um, the risk has to be mitigated against um, the cost, um, as well as is it sufficient for him to stay in Vietnam and recuperate a little bit further. But 
those um, conversations, as I say, started and, you know, there'll be the top people dealing with that at, at both ends. Okay, well, listen, when you next get in to uh, visit him, uh, Coleman, pass on our best wishes. And there, there's so many people thinking and praying for him. And I spotted a number of collection boxes in shops uh, where I've seen people donating, which is which is fantastic. There's a, a real outpouring of love for Damien and for all of your family, which is terrific. Long may it continue. And listen, thank you for taking time out to talk to us today. My pleasure. Look Thanks, after Patricia. yourself. God bless. Bye bye. That is Coleman uh, Horgan, who is Damien's brother, joining us live from uh, Vietnam. Please keep him in your thoughts and in your prayers. And if you can donate in any way, the GoFundMe page is help Damien in his fight for life. Bingo in Inchigila Hall tonight has been cancelled and that's due to a local bereavement. OK, so no bingo on in Inchigila Hall uh, tonight. Now, one of our listeners just signed a North Cork listener listening to my piece with uh, Brendan Piper and Piper's Funfair, which we know isn't going ahead in Kinsale, even though Brendan uh, continues to fight on in the hope that maybe next year the Funfair can come back in uh, Kinsale. But this listener is wondering, will the Funfair in Tremor, which is slightly different because the Funfair in Tremor is permanently based there, but anyway, is worried about the future of the Funfair in Tremor and would it, will it go the same way as Piper's Funfair? Especially now that all, now this listener says all of the hotels and other accommodation in the Tremor area now has been given up to Ukrainian refugees fleeing war. North Cork listener said myself and my family can't get a place to stay in Tremor. I know of other people who also can't get a place to stay. Tremor at the end of the day is a holiday resort and it'll be hit very hard by not having holiday makers staying there. There was only one vacancy in a well-known hotel in Tremor and when we tried to book it we were told no, sorry, it's for a Ukrainian family who haven't arrived yet. My God almighty Patricia, when will the Irish government wake up and understand that we're leaving too many refugees uh, into this country and that signed a North Cork listener. And that, that issue of too many refugees staying in tourist areas. I remember this time last year talking about that and being very worried. A lot of businesses were very worried, not just the businesses who who uh, you give accommodation, but all of the other businesses like the cafes, like the uh, fun fairs, like the restaurants, uh, any boating activity, anything, you know, that when you take children away on holidays and you sign up for day events and things that they can do, uh, they they were all really starting to get very worried last year that they may get affected if there wasn't enough tourists uh, in, in the area. So yes, it is a problem and it, Tremor isn't the only town. I mean, at one stage, didn't Killarney have 50% of their beds were given to refugees. Oh, that's all fine in the winter months when tourists aren't around, but it does become a huge, huge uh, issue in the summertime. And then, of course, I can sense the frustration of that listener who wanted to go away and have their annual holiday in Tremor, like to go to Tremor, and now suddenly can't get any place uh, to stay. And when you hear stories like that, and when you hear like the story that's coming out of uh, Sligo, it really doesn't help the plight of the refugee uh, crisis. The story that's coming out of Sligo that is causing a lot of upset is more than 400 students in Sligo have been told they've no longer a place to stay in uh, in the town. And they very 
abruptly found out that the accommodation that they have been using, some of them for nearly all of their time in college, is no longer available to them. It's understood that the private operator of an accommodation, this was student accommodation, has now offered the site to the Department of Integration for Housing of Refugees. Now, according to the Irish Independent today the contract hasn't been signed yet but a meeting of government officials is taking place today now to discuss the plans around this particular accommodation. The operator informed students by an email last week that they are not offering housing for students for the next academic year and went on to apologise for any inconvenience caused. Now there's one student in the paper, Dara Martin. Uh, he's lived in this, this actual accommodation for the last four years and he's president of the local uh, student union. He says the news was extremely disheartening as students were not provided with any reason for the closure. He now believes that 400 students are now without a place to stay. He said there's a massive scramble going on now for accommodation and he reckons many of them are not going to be successful because Sligo Town, when it comes to accommodation, not just for students, but for everyone, is already at capacity. And he said like last year, they had an issue around accommodation. They actually didn't have enough accommodation uh, last year and they ended up having to secure about 300 extra places last year. Now, they did that mainly through uh, digs. So they're going to have that 300 people looking for accommodation next year and now you add to that another uh, 400 and Dara Martin was saying this particular building he has been his home for the last four years since he's been studying in uh, Sligo and he said there are many students like him who are in their final year who would have spent their entire college lives and built a home almost in this accommodation and now they are finding that they're not going to be able to move back in there for the next academic year and they're starting to think where they're going to be able to do their study. The Students' Union, they say, has been inundated with queries from not just anxious students but obviously from the parents uh, as well. And Dara Martin said that they can feel the people's frustration and anger because people are really worried. He said ultimately a business decision, he says, has been made here but he wants to know if if the deal is done if the contracts are, are are signed and if they're not signed, can it be looked at again so the students can get their homes back? He now fears that some students will defer the next academic year are. You'll have other students who will just have to face long commutes if they can't find an alternative place to stay. He says it's not a moral debate of whether students or refugees should re- receive housing. He said both should be accommodated. And members of the Students' Union will now meet with representatives of the local uh, college and they are hoping also to hear from the Minister for Higher Education, that's Simon Harris, but they also want to hear from the Minister of Integration, Roderick O'Gorman, because obviously he's responsible for housing the refugees. A spokesperson for the Department of Further and Higher Education said that Minister Simon Harris and his department are currently engaging with Roderick O'Gorman and his department on this matter. The Department of Integration said it had received an offer of accommodation, but they are the ones saying that the contracts hasn't been signed uh, yet. And according uh, to the Irish Independent, the company uh, involved, they made attempts 
in recent uh, days uh, to try to interact, but they haven't heard back from uh, the company. So it's stories like that when you see students are not going to have any place to live and they're actually being moved out of their accommodation. We know a lot of student accommodation in the summer months is empty and refugees move in and that's fine because, you know, it's going to be lying empty for all of the summer months. But suddenly now to have these four 400 students completely discommoded to be told there's no place for them and particularly in an area that was already struggling for student uh, accommodation. That really does not help with the crisis, the the refugee uh, crisis, because I think everyone sees the humanitarian side of looking after people fleeing war and conflict. But when it gets to cases like this, People start to say, well, at what expense? You know, is it going to be at the expense of the tourist industry in some areas? Is it going to be at the expense of some Irish students having to defer their college place or, you know, having to commute because they can't find an alternative place uh, to live? And I think that president of that student union, Dara, Ma- Dara uh, Martin, is right, you know, when he says it isn't a case of it should be students are refugees, it should be both. But to hear him say that he's sensing people's frustration and anger, and that's what happened when that kind of anger uh, builds up. And unfortunately, a lot of the anger then is meted out against the refugees as if they're to blame for the situation. We have a housing crisis. We have a housing crisis, housing our own. We have a student housing accommodation and we also have a refugee housing accommodation. But it's when one gets pitted against the other, that's when anger and frustration uh, starts. So we'll watch this one closely. But I suppose from the students' point of view, they haven't signed on the dotted line. So maybe there's some hope of that student accommodation coming back to them. 0818 103 103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp up to 0862 C103 Jobs. A full-time general operator is wanted in Bandon. It's for CNC machining. Now, full training will be provided. You need to email jur at gtc at reliancepresision.ie. Community employment positions are available in Formoy, in Kilworth and in Araglan. Now, no experience is necessary and accredited training will be provided. Applicants must be over 21. You've got to be in receipt of a qualifying social welfare payment for at least 12 months. And you can find out more from Michelle on 87 459 or you can pop into your local intro uh, office. The Hibernian Hotel... They've got a vacancy for a full-time receptionist. CVs, please, to the attention of Tracy. And you email Tracy at info at hibernianhotelmallow.com. And Ashgrove Renewables, they're based in Mallow. They're looking for a solar PV salesman. It's to cover the Limerick and Clare areas. 0818 626 You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. I just want to look at uh, some of your uh, comments coming in, uh, particularly in regard to the piece that I did about the students uh, in Sligo and 400 students now have no accommodation because it is looking like a contract is about to be signed. 
the owner of the building wants to instead hand it over to the Department of Integration so that it can be used to uh, house uh, refugees. Some of your comments come in. John says, Patricia, here we go again down the refugee road. When will people cop on that the refugee crisis is costing this country a fortune? We just seem to bow down and welcome them according to our great government. You're all are welcome here. But John, people are fleeing war. You have to remember that uh, as well. Someone else says, hi Patricia, in fairness to students, could they not study from home via a laptop? Sure wasn't it done during the pandemic. People fleeing war need the accommodation much more than students do. Someone else says, morning Patricia, the government is sending the country into turmoil. There seem to be all talk and no action when it comes to sorting out the housing uh, issue. Fergal says, I sometimes feel I am losing my mind. It's very strange to keep hearing about the housing crisis and how it is impacting students, asylum seekers and young families. When every town and every city in this country is literally riddled with boarded up houses being left to rot, says uh, Fergal, who, yeah, so do... Do, do the powers that be need to think outside the box and look, as Fergal says, at what we have. We do have a lot of boarded up buildings. Could some of those boarded up buildings, could they be used? Could they be revamped in, in some way? And could we open them up for housing, both for Irish people, but also for people who are fleeing war? And actually, if you think it kind of ties in with what I did at the top of the programme when I was talking about the Irish Times, Ipsos, their opinion poll, they're releasing more details of their opinion poll and where they were asking people if the government is is awash with money as it's looking like it's going to be coming up to the next budget, how should that money be spent? And so many of, I mean, it was nearly, I think, 50% of the people who were surveyed their first choice of how to spend any extra money the government have they're saying invest it in building infrastructure building things like um, housing but also look at things like hospitals and schools and, and public transport but you know I think everybody accepts even those of us that are lucky enough to own our own homes and to be secure in our housing everybody sees that there is a, a need but it's when we hear these stories like the listener who was trying to book accommodation in Tremor in County Waterford and can't get anything available because so many refugees are staying there when you hear that and then when you hear the story out of Sligo with the students losing their accommodation because the accommodation is going over instead to the the Department of Integration. That's, I think, where frustration and anger starts. And I always get worried that that's when the finger of blame almost is pointed at the refugees. And I see it sometimes in some of the texts that come come in. And when I'm following it on social media, we've got, you know, people from the extreme right who are really fueling that anger. And it's not, as I think that housing protest last Saturday that was held in Cork, the, the Raise the Roof one that Katrina Toomey uh, spoke at. The government are at fault for the housing crisis and that it's not the refugees. And, and unfortunately, the finger of blame just keeps getting pointed at the refugees. And that, unfortunately, is really, really unfair. 0818 uh, 103 103. 
Uh, John Paul continues to take your calls. You can text her WhatsApp to 86 Now, I'm assuming uh, a lot of people will be very interested to find out what Garda Commissioner Drew Harris will have to say. He is coming to Cork early next uh, week and he's going to attend the city's joint policing uh, committee. And one of the things he is definitely going to hear a large call for is more Garda on the beat in Cork City and indeed the current Lord Mayor of uh, Cork City is among those calling for more Gardaí on the beat and this is following of course another shocking, shocking incident that happened early on Wednesday evening on the Grand Parade and Wednesday evening was such a glorious sunny evening and you could imagine people, it was about 7 o'clock in the evening people were, you know, strolling home from work, people maybe had gone into the city maybe to, you know, have a, an early evening drink or maybe go for a cup of coffee or a bite to eat and in the midst of all of that there was a very, very serious a stabbing uh, incident um, which was witnessed it seems by several people and I think because of the time 7 o'clock on a sunny Wednesday evening you could understand why the city would be uh, so busy. Now the victim it remains in a critical condition. I mean, it looks like this man is very lucky to be alive. He's in Cork University Hospital and he was blessed that at the time, I think there was a doctor, an off-duty doctor and an off-duty nurse that just happened to be on the Grand Parade uh, who fought really hard to keep this man alive until the ambulance uh, arrived. Uh, a second man aged in his early 20s uh, was arrested and was taken to a, a guard the station where um, he's he remains in uh, custody. But I'm reading in the papers today that uh, Deirdre Ford, the Lord Mayor, she is coming out and saying tougher action needs to be taken to clamp down on antisocial behaviour. And you'll remember during the year that Deirdre Ford, as the Lord Mayor of Cork, came out and said there was parts of the city that were almost no-go areas, particularly for women. And she felt uneasy walking in some parts of her own city. And, you know, and I know she got some stick and she got some... Uh, some flack for it at the time but she's coming out saying look it's horrendous it's frightening everybody what is happening and she says it is a small few people who are just taking a decision and it is ruining lives and it's ruining ruling families and it is simply causing grief to people and she said something needs to be done now she's attending that meeting with Drew Harris uh, it's on Monday night he is uh, going to be addressing the Joint Policing uh, Committee and he certainly is going to be hearing for more Gardaí on the beat your thoughts welcome to 0818 103 103 now uh, Lara Marlowe is a renowned journalist whose career has spanned uh, four decades. She has reported from some of the world's most challenging and fascinating regions, offering a unique perspective on international affairs. Lara has covered everything from conflicts and revolutions to diplomatic negotiations and cultural shifts. Her writing has touched the hearts and the minds of countless readers, providing them with a deeper understanding of the complex issues that shape our world. Lara Marlowe will speak at this year's Lismore Writers Festival and I checked before I came on air there are still some tickets available for her talk in Lismore on Sunday morning and I'm delighted to say that Lara Marlowe has taken time out to talk to us uh, today. Good morning to you Lara. 
Good morning, Patricia. Uh, Thank you for that that uh, um, evaluation. I really appreciate it. Ah, uh, listen, that is my pleasure, and I have to say, you are one of my journalistic heroes. I've been following and reading your works uh, for many, many years. Now, firstly, do you enjoy speaking at festivals like this and and having a chat with the public? Is that something that you enjoy as part of your work? Very much so, very much so, because, you know, when you're filing stories from abroad, uh, you don't see or hear your readers, and uh, people at the newspaper are often too busy to give you any feedback. And these these sorts of events are the only time when I actually get to meet my readers, and I get to know what people think of my stories and of me, and I learn a huge amount from them. Uh, it, it's really, it's a great boost to the morale and the ego, and it also is, is a learning experience. So I, I welcome it. I'm delighted to be going to Lismore. And I know you're, you're going to be talking on both Saturday and uh, Sunday. Now, you've reported from conflict zones and political hotspots all over the world. What are the ones that you think will stay with you for the rest of your life? Oh, there's so many. Uh, but certainly Lebanon, Beirut, where I lived for eight years uh, with, with Robert Fisk and, and wrote a memoir about my years with him. Uh, Lebanon, Iraq, because I, I covered both the 1991 Iraq War and the 2003 invasion. And then I went back uh, several times a year between 2003 and 2009 when I moved to Washington. Um, that was that was a pretty horrific situation and remains very bad. Uh, Yugo- former Yugoslavia, because I covered all of the, the Yugoslav wars, um, Bosnia, uh, Croatia, Serbia, Kosovo. Um, again, really, um, for the most part, I'm afraid, pretty, pretty horrible um, events that, that went on there. Um, I remember my four years in Washington, and certainly I, I continue to love Paris, where I'm where I'm still based. Uh, but those would be probably the, the, the strongest be. ones. Yeah, and when you witness man's inhumanity to man, is, is it hard not to get really angry or, or does... In- when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply some way that anger help you to write? It does help you. Um, I'm going to say in my talk on Saturday and Sunday that uh, anger is fuel. Um, It's good motivation. And I think if you don't get angry when you see injustice and when you see people slaughtered, uh, you're not human. And you must never lose that humanity. You can't be paralyzed by it, though. You, you, you mustn't let it overwhelm you to the point that you cease to be able to function as a journalist. And yeah, you, you have to try to maintain a certain detachment. That's not always possible. But I think um, that, that a combination of, of anger and detachment and sans-froid, you know, just, just keeping your cool is, is probably the best. Uh, combination in those circumstances. And you've seen people in appalling poverty and appalling deprivation. Have you any understanding why the world is so cruelly divided? 
I think there's a terrible lack of leadership. Uh, I think if you look around the world at what's going on now, you see dictators, people like Vladimir Putin, Xi Jinping, um, even, you know, and, and poor leaders, what's more alarming in a way in the West, when you think that people like um, Donald Trump and, and Boris Johnson can be at the helm of, of major Western democracies and lead them to commit huge errors. Uh, George W. Bush uh, started the Iraq War and basically destroyed the Middle East. So I, I think poor leadership is, is one of the main reasons. I also sometimes despair of human nature uh, when I see what people do to each other, even to their neighbors in Ireland, for example, or, or in Paris. Um, I, I'm often appalled at the lack of sensitivity, the lack of consideration, of just simple respect uh, that, that people, you know, just, just lack in their dealings with each other. And I... I think that the, the problems, the breakdowns in relationships within families or between neighbors are really a microcosm of the breakdowns on the international scale of what happens, say, between Russia and Ukraine. Uh, so it, it is can be very, very depressing. Sometimes there are good news stories. I wish there were more of them. Uh, I think the moment that we're living in now is particularly dark largely because of the war in Ukraine, but not only. I, I think that global warming really looms uh, huge over all of us. I mean, I'm in Ireland right now, and I'm, I'm stunned at the temperatures, at the, the heat, you know. Yeah, it's yeah. Now. Uh, so that, that's a big worry. And then look at the Middle East, look at the, the Palestinians. That is totally just frozen. Nothing has happened positive for the Palestinians in years and years and years. And we have the most right-wing Israeli government ever. Uh, they will not give the Palestinians a, a homeland. That's just, just not on the agenda at the moment. So there's, there's a lot to be worried about, and there's a lot to, to, to care about. I think it's really important that individual citizens care, that they tell their politicians that they care, that they try to shake the politicians into doing something. I mean, the, if there is one positive aspect of, of the war in Ukraine, which is, is pretty hard to find, it's that there has been, for once, a, a, quite a degree of solidarity that, that Western countries have opened their arms to uh, Ukrainian refugees, especially in Ireland. I don't know how long that will last, uh, but so far that, that has been a positive side of a very, very uh, tragic situation. And you've been to Ukraine. You were there in the very early days, and I know you went back there again uh, last year. How, how, do, how do you see that ending, Lara? And, and is there any end on the horizon? Uh, it's, you know, you, I, I have learned from covering wars that you should never predict because nobody knows. And anybody who tells you that they know uh, is lying. <laughs> uh, the common wisdom at the moment is that if Ukraine is successful in the present offensive, which started a week or two ago, uh, that it would increase Western support for them. They might get fighter bombers, and they could actually militarily defeat Russia. I think that is possible. I have been amazed at the courage and determination of the Ukrainians. Uh, they, they are just amazing people. And it, it really is a David and Goliath situation. It's not impossible that they will defeat Russia. Uh, will they get back the 17% of Ukraine that's occupied by Russia? 
I don't know. Uh, certainly Crimea is more in doubt than Donbass and, and the southeastern parts of Ukraine that Russia is occupying. But I think that regardless of the outcome of the war, I think it's a catastrophe for Russia. It's already a catastrophe for Russia economically, politically. Um, and I think the future of Russia is very, very uncertain. In a, in a way, the future of Ukraine to me seems seems better than the future of Russia because Ukraine has forged its national unity, it has strong leadership, it has a unity of purpose. Um, I think that Russia has shown it to, itself to be uh, an aggressive power, uh, an abuser of human rights um, that, that committed all kinds of atrocities and war crimes. It's, it's a pariah now in the international community. Uh, I don't know if Vladimir Putin could survive politically if he loses this war. The, the worst thing is we, we might get someone like uh, Yevgeny Prigozhin, the, the head of the Wagner m- militia, mercenary, mm. uh, and he could be even worse than Putin. Yeah, so because yeah, I know when you hear people saying, oh, I wish somebody would just bump off Putin. Uh, you know, I always say in the next bit, but who will replace him? could even be uh, worse. Now, I know as part of your talk in, in, in Lismore, you're going to speak about your, your best-selling memoir, uh, Love in a Time of War, and that they were your, your years married uh, to um, to Robert uh, Fisk. Just how did that book come about? Because you, Robert, as we know, sadly died in uh, 2020. That's right. And Robert and I had been divorced for 10 years when he died. Uh, we weren't really in touch. He had remarried, uh, but we had met by chance a, exactly a year before he died in Dublin Airport uh, in the baggage baggage section, <laughs> and it was a, it was a very sweet um, reunion. I must say, we we, we had a great uh, natter, and and I was I was really pleased later that I had seen him then. Um, the book came about because when Robert died, obviously I was I was devastated because. I had been with him basically for 20 years of my life and certainly the most interesting, fascinating, exciting, meaningful years of my life. Um, I asked the Irish Times if I could write a tribute to him, and I did. I wrote a a weekend cover section about Robert and a publisher in London, um, Neil Belton, who's actually Irish, uh, head of Zeus, which is now part of Bloomsbury, I saw my article on Robert, and I was contacted by Jonathan Williams, who is my, my literary agent in Ireland, and he said, you know, uh, Neil Belton would like you to write a memoir about Robert. And initially, I said, oh, I couldn't possibly, I'm far too upset, and it would be too painful to, to dredge up all those memories. And then I found that I was thinking about the book all the time. I was writing in my head. I go for a walk every morning before breakfast. And I, I found I, I couldn't stop thinking about what I would say in the book if I had accepted to write it. So after maybe 10 days, I rang up Jonathan. And I said, do you think they're still interested They're still interested in the book? And he said, yes, absolutely. And that's how it happened. And then because of COVID, um, actually COVID w- was in a, in a sense a godsend to me. I know it was, it was tragic for, for millions of people, but... I um, asked the Irish Times to take off for three and a half months. I put 50 kilos of archives in a suitcase oh. and flew to, to Dublin. I stayed in my, my little house in Howth, and I, I didn't see anyone for three and a half months. I was just totally hauled away in, in, in my little house, and it was very cold winter, and I just worked uh, all day every day, and it was actually, for me, it, it, I wouldn't... I wouldn't say it was really a happy time, but it was a 
I, I enjoyed it in a way. It was it was a good time for me, and I, I think that having a book that you want to write that just almost writes itself. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's a great experience. And and it, it got me thinking yesterday. What do you think Robert would would have made of the book? <laughs> a lot of people ask me that question. I think he would like aspects of it. I I do praise him quite effusively as a journalist. He was a brilliant journalist. Yeah. He was very resourceful. He he had so many scoops and and um he he was just amazing. He always knew what to do and even long after we split up, I would bring him for advice. Um I think he might cringe a little bit to have me talking <laughs> quoting his love letters to me or, or talking about the breakup of our marriage. Yeah. Uh, but on the other hand, you know, Robert wrote a great deal about his personal life. He wrote a lot about his childhood. He wrote a lot about his parents. Uh, and I, I think that one owns one's own life. And um, I hope he would forgive me if it, if it bothered uh, him. I think, I think he, w- he would have loved it. And uh, you have one, I think one of the greatest gifts you have, uh, Lara, is getting your readers to care about the people that you're, you are writing about. What advice would you give to young journalists to develop that skill? Because it really is a skill. Thank you, Patricia. Uh, I think you have to care yourself. Um, I, I think that being interested in other people, being interested in their stories, is probably the number one most important uh, skill of a journalist or character a- attribute. If you don't, I remember actually there was a, a colleague uh, who shall remain nameless, um, who was a very talented writer, very brave woman, uh, traveling around, doing some terrific reporting, and Robert said to me once, you know, she doesn't care about the people who she writes about. And actually, he was right. And you could, you could tell there was a, there's a very competitive streak in a lot of journalists, which is, which is proper and as it should be. But sometimes the need to get the story, the need to get the scoop, to beat the competition, if that takes the upper hand and if you forget that the most important thing is the people you're writing about, I think you're doomed. I think you, you, you won't tell a good story. Um, the other important thing is to remember that journalism is, number one, about telling a story. And if you lose sight of that, if you forget, you know, you get all wound up in the details and the, this aspect and that aspect and so on. If you don't just tell a story, um, you know, beginning, middle, end, and it doesn't have some kind of, of human interest in it, uh, people aren't, aren't going to, you know, it's different, obviously, with business stories or whatever. But, uh, and even there, there actually is a, a very strong human aspect. Um, that's what it's all about. And I think some people care about others and <laughs> some people don't. But by and large, the, the best journalists really do. Well, you, you shine through on that. And uh, something I'm always advocating because with digital media and I worry about the future of journalism, I'm always saying to people, get out there and buy a newspaper. And while I have signed up for digital papers, there's nothing like the feel of a newspaper Absolutely. in your hand on a Saturday morning. I love it. Listen, Lara, I've enjoyed every minute of it. Enjoy your weekend in uh, Lismore. I know they look after you really well. And thank you so much for taking time out to talk to us. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Good morning, dear. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie. Can you talk to me? Cork today on C103.
Cars to Protect, brought to you by C103, the IBI, and funded by the Commission Naman with the television license fee. Check out rstoprotect.ie for more info. It's the perfect time to get into gardening. So this week for Eyes to Protect, we sat down and talked to Irene Hulavon, coordinator of the UCC Green Shoots Initiative, about how their community garden works and what you can do to make sure your garden is more environmentally friendly. Tell me a little bit about where we are right now. I can see lots of greenery around us and lots of plants. What What is so special about where we are? Right now we're in UCC Community Gardens. So this garden was established back in 2009. It was like a student-led initiative. It's a really lovely legacy, actually, that's been left here. It's an organic garden, no pesticides or herbicides are used. We try and go for companion planting, permaculture approach where we can. Yeah, I suppose really we're we're trying to sort of be a flagship for regenerative gardening as well here. There's a huge variety of plants here. We're growing a variety of vegetables, you know, carrots, beans, peas and, you know, legumes. We've got salad coming out of our ears. We have spring onions, chives and then there's, I suppose, you know, a few more medicinal plants like calendula and lemon balm and comfrey. Lots of lovely different plants going on, um, both wild and cultivated. So lots of new ideas there on how to approach a garden. Let's break some of them down. We'll start by talking about the permaculture approach. This is when we grow plants, typically fruits, vegetables and herbs, in a way that draws from nature to ensure growing styles are sustainable. In other words, it's when we look at nature and copy how it's growing plants naturally. This can include not using pesticides or herbicides, companion planting, crop rotation, among other ways of ensuring that the environment benefits everything that exists within it. Now, Moving on to companion planting, it works by planting plants that are mutually beneficial to each other together. With more information, here's Irene. Um, the companion planting approach is used um, to help plants thrive. Um, in some instances, it can sort of be used to um, help protect against pests. So, for example, if you grow nasturtium next to your cabbages, um, nasturtium will be a sort of a decoy for the cabbage white butterfly. So. It's about being clever about working with nature rather than against it. If you were to use loads of pesticides and herbicides in an area, you don't just kill the pests that you're trying to get rid of. You're killing all the diversity of life within you know, the insect fauna of that area. So it's a much more clever approach to think, OK, what would nature do here? What is the predator of the pest that I'm trying to get rid of? Rather than just going in with loads of horrible chemicals and making a mess, you know? volunteers here are really great for being mindful that this is a garden that is very respectful of nature so as I mentioned it's a it's an organic garden we do try our best to be organic as much as we can um, we really don't use any herbicides or pesticides it's wild in a sense like it's semi-wild at the moment we have loads of lovely uh, mature grass seed heads around us and you know it's not necessarily mown or strimmed it's just sort of left to do its own thing for the most part we do take up a certain amount of the area to grow vegetables so we want to be respectful that nature should have a certain proportion of the garden for its own business as well so you can hear the birds in the background i can hear chaffinches and house sparrows and there's long-tailed tits around as well so there's a lovely diversity of birds here as well we're wrapping up our garden chat and it seems like the right time to ask What advice is there for people who might be interested in growing their own produce or working in a community garden? I suppose the advice that I would give would be to just go for it. Um, Like I've got a couple of plants at home and I probably would have a lot more if I wasn't doing a lot of work in this garden. But yeah, don't be scared. Just go for it. Um, You know, plants want to live. Like if (laughs) if you're sound to them, they'll do their best. So um, yeah, I would say... 
uh, be brave about it, but also seek help where you where you need it. There's an amazing diversity of community gardens in Cork, like from St Luke's Community Garden to the Glen Garden to Toker. They're all run by incredible people, really enthusiastic lovely people who are willing to share their knowledge so you're always supported if you want support um whether you have this really you know chemical heavy approach or whether you're trying to be sensitive towards the diversity of life in your garden you're never going to have perfect vegetables and they aren't supposed to be perfect sometimes you're going to get carrots with legs if they're not getting enough water you know it's just sort of the the nature of the game and i think that that's kind of enjoyable really and um you know, we'd probably be all a lot happier if we accepted our own imperfections, so why not to do that in a garden context as well? The theme of today's discussion was organic planting. What is it and how are some of the ways you can go about introducing it into your own gardens? We looked at UCC's community garden as an example of an organic garden in Cork City. We talked with Irene Hulavon about some of the approaches green shoots take in managing their community garden for nature. You can engage more with UCC Green Shoots by following UCC Green Campus on Instagram and Twitter. If you're interested in joining a community garden, you can find a list of community gardens in Cork by visiting the show notes of this episode. Ours to Protect, brought to you by C103, the IBI, and funded by the Commission Naman with the television license fee. Check out ourstoprotect.ie for more info. And thank you to Alana Daly Mulligan, uh, who produced uh, that piece. That was really, really interesting. And shaped, as Alana says, if you go to the show notes, either on our website or on the website Hours to Protect, you can find out more uh, about the different websites and ways to connect, particularly if you're interested in organic um, and growing, growing organic vegetables in your garden with the uh, cost of living and all of that. Maybe it's something we all should be getting involved in. Now, some of your texts before we head to a break. For to go to the newsroom at 12 uh, midday. This kind of ties in with Lara Marlowe, who uh, I mentioned when I asked her about how divided the world is. And when you think of some of the conflict do- zones that Lara Marlowe would have gone to as a journalist over her 40 years, and you know, she has seen devastation in countries where there's been hurricanes and earthquakes and famines etc and there's always that divide between the rich and the poor and I can never get my head around how this world is so unfairly divided and she said you know some of it must point back to world leaders and she quoted Trump but she also quoted Boris Johnson who's making the news a lot at the moment Uh, and Michael says "Uh, morning Patricia he lied and lied and lied so says the heading on most of the newspapers and many of the newspapers in Britain last night. Yesterday was a good day for democracy overall. I'm glad the report on Boris Johnson's carry-on has finally shown him for what he was. It was the most striking report I have and scathing report I have ever heard of a British Prime Minister who was a serial liar. A Prime Minister that brought Great Britain to its knees, something that will take many, many decades to recover, if it ever will recover. It's absolutely mind-boggling when you hear a few MEPs still defending his behaviour, especially when the committee was made up of 
four of the seven members were Tory party members. Boris Johnson and Donald Trump were never politicians. They can't understand the difference between lies and truth. They were only ever populist politicians and they should never have been put in a position of power. How right was Dominic Cummins? And that's from uh, Michael and um, History. Uh, will tell the story of Donald Trump and Boris Johnson for sure. Thank you for your text to 0862 103 103. Okay, we've got to take a break. We've news at 12 midday. We'll talk movies in the next hour. Uh, we also have the last of our Cork Summer Show tickets uh, to give away. And there's a lot of commentary coming in throughout the morning. We'll bring you all of that after 12. Cork today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CM mig.ie C103 we're proud media partners for this year's Cork Summer Show which is happening tomorrow Saturday the 17th and again on Sunday the 18th it is in Munster's largest outdoor food fair so do go hungry there's live music there's horticulture there's cookery demonstrations there's farm animals and much much more it really is fun for all the family and you can check out all of the events that are taking place as part of the Cork Summer Show on their website Cork Summer Show Dot com, where, by the way, you can also purchase a tickets. Now, we have the final pass to give away of the week and we've had huge reaction uh, to this. So many people want to go along to the summer show. We have a family pass for two adults and two children. We also have four family lunch vouchers for O'Cruley's on-site restaurant, does include some soft drinks to wash down the meal and you can also enjoy some free amusement rides. Compliments of our good selves here at C103. Every day this week we have been asking a question about a Cork place that you might like to visit this summer. And our final question today, where in West Cork would you visit the Copper Mines Museum? Where in West Cork would you visit the Copper Mines Museum? We need your answer, please, by text or WhatsApp now to 086 to 103 103. You've got 10 minutes to get your entry in and then John Paul will select one winner from the correct answers. Where in West Cork would you visit the Copper Mines Museum? Get texting or WhatsApping. Make sure please that you put your name and address on it as well. 086 103 103. And uh, thank you to Philip sending in uh, a lovely email. Uh, and actually this is to do, um, and this might be a suggestion for other areas when it comes to trying to keep an area clean. Um, Philip has contacted us uh, about the church in Clonakilty because the church tower, uh, the bell tower in Clonakilty is home to two peregrine falcons and they're doing wonders for the tidy town effort at that side of Clonakilty because they're apparently putting manners on the litter bin burgling crows who normally would leave a right old mess on these very bright uh, uh, moments. And according to uh, Philip Father Tom Hayes, the parish priest, hopefully there might be some good news, some good breeding news uh, shortly. And actually, if you want to check out these absolutely gorgeous birds, these falcons, um, Father Hayes, the parish priest, has got photographs of the adult pair on the Clannock Hilty Parish Facebook page and well worth. And I'm assuming that they're nesting 
in the bell tower. Uh, it's it's incredible. They're gorgeous, gorgeous looking birds. But the real plus is that they're keeping the crows at bay and keeping that area nice and uh, clean. So go on to the Connick Hinton Parish Facebook page if you want to get a close up look at, at those birds. 0818103103. Dave, one of our listeners, was on to say he found a blue lady's shoulder bag. Now, there's money inside in the bag. He found it on the road between Coppine and Castletown, Kenna. Have you heard of somebody who lost a ladies blue shoulder bag at the road between Coppine and Castletown, Kenna? We obviously have all of Dave's details because he'd like to get back, get it back to the owner. And that's very honest of you, Dave. Uh, well done. Now, a number of uh, texts uh, coming in. And this is uh, to do with refugees and the number of refugees and the fact that I mentioned there is the town of Sligo and that they could end up having a student accommodation crisis and they already had a bit of a crisis last year uh, because it is looking like 400 students who normally stay in student accommodation uh, seeming they've all got emails to say that the accommodation is not going to be available next uh, year and instead the owners are trying to sign a contract with the Department of uh, Integration. A couple of people on about that. Uh, hi Patricia, isn't isn't it all about the people of, isn't it about time? The people of Ireland stood up to the government and they demand that we look after our own first. The students in that area should picket the accommodation says one uh, texter. A West Cork listener says, hope this message finds you well. It does, thank you for asking. Both the Irish and European politicians are to blame for the refugee crisis as they didn't do proper planning. So everyone is being left to fend for themselves. And as a result of this, it is creating a huge amount of tension and anger. Yeah, and that's the point that I was trying to make. It's so unfair that the refugees are being blamed uh, for it because it isn't their fault, particularly the ones that are fleeing from from Ukraine. You know, war broke out in their country and they're escaping to, to try to protect themselves and their children. But then Anne takes a different view, says, good morning, Patricia. All refugees should be sent home. We can't take all the refugees. Have you taken refugees into Ukraine? Your home, Patricia. It is sickening listening to you on the side of refugees. Shame on you, says uh, Anne. And I'm sorry that you feel that way, uh, Anne, but, you know, these people are fleeing war. And um, I'm sorry if you think my attitude towards them. I'm I'm trying to see it from the the human side of it and the humanitarian side uh, of it. Uh, people have had to flee conflicts. It's 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 nothing new. It's just new to us. I think we've never had. Certainly, we've had refugees in the past, but never never on the numbers we're seeing uh, at the moment. Oh eight one eight one zero three one zero three. Hi Patricia, this is the North Cork listener who kind of started all this off because they were trying to book a place in Tremor. I'm not racist, but I am wondering: Has the government really thought about the knock-on effects of leaving so many refugees into our small island? I was the one who texted you earlier about trying to get and failing to get accommodation in Tremor for a little bit of a family holiday. The Ukrainians fleeing war, it is very upsetting. But in all honesty, Patricia, it is our government who are at fault. The housing and accommodation system was banjaxed way before Russia decided to invade uh, Ukraine. But it's just made a housing, our housing problem a lot worse because too many are coming into this uh, country. And that's from the North uh, Cork listener. But yeah, but rightly pointing the finger blame, don't point the finger blame at the refugees. It's at, uh, it's at the people who make the uh, decisions. 
And then when we're trying to come up with solutions to our housing uh, crisis that we have, somebody said, my brother passed away. It's about six months ago now. We cleared out the house pretty quickly. And having looked, obviously it's a council house, having looked inside, it possibly only needed one wall to be uh, painted. Would you believe six months later that house is still idle? Three people at least could live in that house. It's in the West Cork area. What are the council doing? And we constantly hear frustration from people when they have a boarded up house are like that when you have a family who surrender back a house to the council because their family member has passed away they know the condition that the house was in can't understand why it wasn't very quickly you know I, I absolutely accept if you're giving a house when you're taking a house the council taking a house back absolutely accept you know maybe a full paint all of the rooms um, even though some of them might have been only recently painted but you know good deep clean and get it ready for the next person but why it takes so long is always mind boggling and uh, Anne-Marie uh, contacting us this morning uh, good af- or afternoon as it is now how are you doing Anne-Marie and this is to do with the piece that I mentioned the Irish Times Ipsos uh, opinion poll where they were asking people w- with the with the budget surplus that we know the government is going to have because of course the corporation tax is still flowing in we don't know for how much longer but while it's flowing in it's the it's our money for the government to spend and when the Irish Times asked people how did they feel the money should be spent very low proportion said that it should be should be used to pay down debt. A very low proportion said it should be put away for a rainy day. Most people were saying if you have a chunk of money, if the government have this money, spend, spend, spend. But they did say spend it on things like housing and infrastructure and hospitals and schools, etc. Amory takes a slightly different uh, view on this extra revenue that's within the coffers of the Exchequer. I think that we should spend half of it on infrastructure like housing but we also should spend the other half on paying down our debt. I'm not sure if those who were surveyed realise how much interest we are paying just to sustain that debt. Currently every Irish citizen if you were to break it down by head of population we owe about €44,000 per person. That is one of the highest debt burdens in the world. No country with its enormous debt can ever be called a rich country. If we paid off some of that debt, our interest payments would lessen. Consequently, we would save more than if we pay it off over years into the future. I hope that the government considers this approach rather than sustaining a people-pleasing mentality. Thanking you, Patricia, and that's from Anne-Marie. And I actually only read a piece during the week on our national debt and Emory is right it does work out at €44,000 uh, per head of a population in this country and the interest alone it's a billion a year is what we are spending so Emory is right there is certainly merit in trying to pay off a lot of the national debt rather than putting it on the never uh, the, the, the never never because you know a, a billion a year then could be used for investment in infrastructure and for other things thanks for your text uh, Anne-Marie and then a couple of other things uh, coming in uh, hi Patricia could you just warn your listeners if they're passing through the beautiful village of Kiskame at night to be very careful because some new curbing has been put down some of the curbing is jutting out particularly on the left hand side of 
of the road heading into the village. As I drive past this village a lot, I think it's completely ridiculous the way they're narrowing the roads in places. It's an accident waiting to happen, particularly if some truck or car mounts the curbs. And that's not just happening in Kiskane. That seems to be happening everywhere. There seems to be this move by the council and the planners that they're extending out the uh, footpaths and making the roads uh, narrower. I think a lot of towns will identify with that. Thank you, though, for your word of warning to anybody driving through uh, Kiss Game. Uh, John in Cove, have we on? Oh, this is on Boris Johnson. I'm wondering, well, well, well people are giving out about Boris Johnson and the fact that he lied in this report showed that he, he lied what about our own politicians? How many of our own Irish politicians are uh, honest? John says, just think back to Golfgate during the pandemic. While the rest of us were locked away, they were out partying. So this type of thing happens worldwide with politicians getting caught telling the people to do one thing and then they're doing something completely different. Why is everybody talking and looking at Boris Johnson? Because it happened worldwide. Thank you for that. That's John in Cove. 0818 103 103. And staying in Cove, we're going back to Tom in Cove. Remember Tom in Cove, who we've been talking about on and off throughout the week. Tom was the gentleman who contacted us. He lives in a council house. It was retrofitted by the council and the council are painting all of the houses white. Tom, very unhappy about that. He wants his house restored to the original colour it was before the retrofitting happened. Now, a lot of people didn't agree with Tom and felt he was... He was being very entitled in looking for the council to paint his house a different colour to everybody else. And there was other people saying, I'd love the council to come in and paint my house. They can paint it any colour uh, they like if they were doing it for free. Someone else explained they spent 1500 getting their house painted a couple of weeks ago and that was without the cost of the paint and felt that John should have nothing to complain about, uh, even if he's not happy with the the colour of the house at the end of the day it's white it wasn't neon pink anyway Tom has been back to us uh, because we told him to get in contact with local councillors to see if they could help him out because in fairness we have gotten on to Cork County Council and we are still uh, awaiting a statement and some people who live in council houses told us that if Tom wanted to paint the house himself but he'd have to do it himself and supply the paint himself other people in council houses said that they had done that. But when we put that to Tom, Tom said no. He wasn't willing to pay for the paint himself. He wasn't willing to paint it himself or to pay somebody else to paint it. He says he's a council tenant and that they should paint the house the colour he wants. Anyway, he got onto a local councillor who's just come back to him to advise him that the council will not be repainting his house the colour that Tom wants He has to stick with the uh, colour white and he has no uh, choice about it. And he wants to reply to somebody who said, if the council on day one had offered Tom a house that was painted white, would he have moved in? And he said he certainly would have taken it. But he said his disagreement at the moment is the house was a completely different colour before the retrofitting works started and that's the colour he wants his house repainted. Well, the council very clearly saying to him, no, he's got to have it painted white and that is it. End of 0818 103 103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text, you can WhatsApp to 086 103103. And you can stop texting us on our summer show competition. And we'll give John Paul a moment to select today's winner. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.com.
And tickets are on sale at Thornhill's Pharmacy and Kildallery Community Office for the Kildallery National School Musical. It's on tonight and tomorrow. Tickets are €10. There's a Kaylee going ahead in the Marion Hall in Ballinhasic tonight. Dancing from 9.30. Music by Ger Murphy. Admission €10. It does include uh, teas. There is a golf fundraising classic in Bearhaven Golf Club. It's on today, tomorrow and Sunday. They're still looking for teams of four and the timesheet is available at 087-70700 and funds are going to a past captain and club member Keith who suffered a stroke last year. There's a concert of light classical music by Mozart, Hansel, um, Handel and others in St. Martin's Church in Temple Martin. That's on tonight at 8. Refresh during the interval. There's a fundraising dance in the CMS Hall in Newmarket tonight. That's on, uh, oh sorry, it's not on, on Friday the 26th. Music will be by uh, Sheila Fitzgerald. And Mallow GAA uh, Friday Night Bingo is on tonight 8.15 with a jackpot of €700. Euro. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Our final set of family pass tickets, along with uh, lunch and free amusement rides to go to the Cork Summer Show on this weekend, Saturday and Sunday. And they are going to uh, Noreen O'Donovan in Ballinine. Congratulations, uh, Noreen. Where in West Cork would you visit the Copper Mines Museum? The answer, of course, is Allahies. Congratulations, Noreen O'Donovan in Ballinine. Enjoyed the Cork uh, Summer Show and everybody else. Uh, going along. Really hope you enjoy it. Tickets are available from Cork Summer Show. Dot com. Uh, let me go to some of your calls. I can see people are reacting to me mentioning Tom again in uh, Cove and uh, people are hoping, somebody's saying, I hope he doesn't go on rent uh, strike. He's no entitlement to make such demands. I'm glad the council aren't giving in to his uh, demands. If he's not happy, he should get his own house and somebody else says, Patricia, you shouldn't be giving him any airtime. The cheek of him to ask the council to paint the house the colour he uh, wants. No wonder the country is in the state that it is uh, in. And then also coming into us on, if I can see some of um, where is this comment gone on me now? It's uh, disappeared. Um, It is to do with um, uh, it's back. We're back again to refugees. Uh, No said I would have no problem with refugees coming into the country but we cannot keep bringing people in when there's nowhere safe for them to live. I do feel our government are taking uh, refugees just to look good in Europe um, and they are trying to look good to other European countries and that is the reason why they are taking in so many refugees and there was someone else if I can find the comment here it is sorry somebody else uh, has a comment saying uh, Patricia not all refugees are running away from war what war is on in Somalia Nigeria Uganda and tell me Patricia why this war we're trying to save people there's so many other wars going on at the moment what about Palestine Uh, there's no fuss over there don't be blinded and listen I try not to be blinded but I just can't bear to see people in pain and I can't bear to see people suffering and yes I accept there are economic 
refugees arriving in this country. But I was watching that programme and for the life of me now, I can't think of the name of it, but it's to do with Irish farmers and fishermen going over to other countries to see how farming is done. Like the the one that was on this week was to do with an organic farmer and she's out in Vietnam, uh, How looking at how they they grow rice and God, the conditions that she's living in and working in was atrocious. But the week before, there was a brilliant one on from a fisherman from Kinsale who went out to the Gambia and he was fishing with the people of the Gambia. I mean, the poverty is just like something we have never experienced uh, before. And they were saying that people from their village had gone missing on boats. They tried to get to Europe to try to get a better life. Were they economic refugees? Absolutely. But when you see the type of conditions they come from, decent, honest, hardworking people. And it was the men who went to try to get a better life in order to send money back or to try to get family members to join them. So I do understand economic refugees as well. And when you look at our own economic refugees, it's there 50,000 of them over in America and they could be deported at the drop of a hat. So I do understand that um, as well. So yes, they're, they're not all fleeing a conflict for sure. But when I hear people talk about Ukraine and talk about what's going on in Ukraine and, and that they're fake uh, fake UGs and they should go back uh, to Ukraine. When I was chatting earlier with uh, uh, Lara Marlowe, Lara, of course, was um, writing for The Times when she went to Ukraine. And yesterday when I was just reading up on stuff and reminding myself about some of her uh, work, she spoke about last year being over in Ukraine. And she's a tough cookie. She's been in, you know, some of the world's most difficult places and in the middle of war zones. And she's 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 a tough cookie. Uh, But she was saying that in all of her journalistic career there's only four times that she's ever cried but one of the times she cried was actually last year in Ukraine and and she was at um at the funeral uh, of uh, somebody or she was at the grave of uh, somebody uh, who had died but she was talking about what she had witnessed in Ukraine and some of the interviews that she did and she said that one of the most powerful interviews that she had done while in Ukraine last year was with a, a gynecologist who she met in Kiev at the end of last July and this gynecologist had been looking after a 12 year old little girl. She was looking after her for a full month at this stage. This 12 year old girl had been gang raped by Russian soldiers in Bucha. But before she was gang raped, she watched her parents and her family dog being shot in, in front of her. And she came under the care of this gynecologist who was trying to reconstruct, do reconstructive surgery on her ruptured genital organs. I just thought, my God. Now, if that little girl arrived here for refugee status, would any of us be turning her away and saying, oh no, she's not a genuine uh, refugee, send her back to her own country. So when I read and hear uh, stories like that, it just, the mind just boggles and I suppose the the, the humanitarian side in me will always try to reach out and, and help those that are, are in need. Uh, 0818103103 and by the way, when I was doing the Community Diary, just on the Mallow uh, GAA uh, bingo that's on uh, tonight, I rushed through it and I actually gave you the wrong figure. The jackpot for the Mallow GA bingo is 4,800 calls. 4,800 in 46 calls. The lucky number game is uh, 700 and all monies raised at the Mallow GAA bingo goes directly back in to the running of the GAA club and the maintenance of the complex and the pitches. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. 
You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. We're going to the movies with Mark Malone. Good afternoon, Mark. Uh, if I press the button, there we go. Uh, good morning. Good <laughs> afternoon to you. Okay, you went oh, yeah. along to the movies. Uh, Transformers, Rise of the Beast and The Covenant. That's the Guy Ritchie movie, isn't it? The Covenant? It is indeed. Is it? Okay, let's take a trailer from uh, Transformers, Rise of the Beast. We are in the middle of the war. We have one last hope. Maximals, this is about the fate of all living things. We're not going to win this one. But we have a chance. I can't believe how long Transformers are going on when, when my son was uh, young in the, the 90s. I remember buying him Transformers. And uh, yeah. did he watch the cartoons? And, oh, I'm sure he did. Did yeah. he watch I'm the movies? Sure. I, I'm, yeah, I've, I've, yeah, I'm sure I would have taken him. You know the way you take your mm. kids to the movies and I used to fall asleep. He used to, <laughs> he used to always say, it's a waste of time bringing you mum to the movies, you fall asleep. So I suppose I would have gone along at some stage. Yeah, yeah but it's, they're not your thing, though, are no, they? You know no, what I mean? no, no. And I no. can understand that. And the reason why they're still making them is because, of course, the fans still love these yeah. movies. They still want to go and see them. You know what I mean? Even though the critics don't particularly like them very much, it's the fans who uh, keep these movies going. And, uh, you know, I think this is the eighth, but that includes as well a couple of animated movies as well. Now, the animation, uh, I was never too keen on. I always thought it was a bit cheap looking, to be honest. You know what I mean? But I suppose if you're five years of age, you know, that kind of thing. And, of course, the Transformers, they'd have the toys and stuff like that. So they'd kind of be very, very excited about all that. Um, This is a sequel to Bumblebee and a prequel to the very, very first uh, Transformers films, apparently. And um, so it's set in the 90s. And uh, normally, if I'm telling you about a film, I'll just make it up off the top of my head. I'll tell you what the story is. But... Um, I had no idea what was going on. <laughs> I just saw metal See, that's creatures. That's why I don't like these movies. I have no idea what's going on. I just saw metal creatures bashing into each other, so um, I decided to print it out first. So it's a 90s globe throttling adventure uh, which introduces the Maximals, the Predacons, and Terracons to the existing battle on Earth between the Autobots and the Decepticons. Oh, God, I understand it now. I thought you yeah. would. <laughs> Now, the Terracons apparently are Unicrons and forces which are sent to Earth to find the transwarp key and kill everybody in their way to get their hands on so it. So the, there's good guys and bad guys, is there? Or are they all bad guys? No, 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 no. The, 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 um, the good guys are people like um, Optimus Prime and, and, and those guys, the, the Transformers. These guys are coming from another planet somewhere to try and get their hands on this key, uh, which will allow the Transformers to get back to their planet. But these guys want to get their hands on the key because it means that they can basic control and destroy the world because they're very, very bad robots. The interesting thing, though, what that always gets to me about uh, the robots is that even though they're from another planet, uh, when they transform, they have American accents or English accents or Scottish accents. It's very, very strange. And some of them kind of talk like this from like, New York, hey, guys, what are we doing here? You know, And you're just thinking, what? There was a, I think it was in the second film, they got into an awful lot of trouble because they used very, very stereotypical kind of um, African-American accents um, for, for two of the, the the, the Transformers, for example. And uh, and it was pretty embarrassing. There's one in this one, for example, and he's a plane and he transforms. And when he transforms uh, into uh, the robot, um, he's got a Scottish accent, which is fair enough, nothing wrong with that, but he's got goggles. So I'd love to know what part of the plane was the goggles, do you know mm, what I mean? Because, of yeah. course, there, it's meant to be every part of the plane turning into yeah. the robot, do you know what I mean? So it is very, very strange. And, you know, they've got things like cigars and stuff in their mouths as they're kind of talking like this. And Pete Davidson in this film, he does this kind of whole New York thing. 
uh, Pete Davidson plays the character of Mirage here and he completely improvises all his lines throughout the film and some of the uh, you know some of the the humour he introduces to the film are a little bit kind of um, close to the bone you know what I mean and, a bit uh, risque a bit risque yeah, exactly and, and a bit inappropriate but uh, he was he was allowed to get away with it but again why these robots from another planet talk like that I have absolutely uh, no, no idea, idea. Yeah. Uh, so over the years uh, we've had Michael Bay of course uh, he did the original films uh, then uh, there was a kind of a, uh, an offshoot from that uh, Bumblebee for example which was a lovely little film and actually of all the Transformers films that's the one I liked uh, more than most so this one again is not directed by uh, Michael Bay. He has moved aside. This is directed by Stephen Capel Jr., who uh, created and directed uh, Creed Two, for example. He does a really, really good job. Here they introduce the beasts. So this time the Transformers look like animals. They look like birds. And the main character uh, of, of the beasts, for example, um, as opposed to Optimus Prime, he's a gorilla, so he's Optimus Primal. See what they did there? <laughs> very, very clever. Uh, voiced here by Ron Perlman. And um, and so, look, the thing is, is that there's nothing new here. The, the only thing, I suppose, the only difference here is that, of course, the cast look different, which is quite right in this mm. time, in this age. But there are a couple of little racial kind of little things that I thought were inappropriate and weren't really necessary. Why they decided to go down that route, I have absolutely no idea, but they decided they decide to do so. And the two main leads, even though um, they're pretty much unknown, Anthony Ramos and uh, Dominique Fishback, they do very very well and they're not bad at all basically what happens is you've got metal creatures just bumping and crashing into each other for two hours and if that's your thing then and you love the Transformers and that entertains you then that is for you and little boys in particular and not being sexist when I say that but little boys in particular love I think so I think they'll enjoy it yeah, yeah. but for me I, I, I do tire of it after a while but at the same time I do admire the, the look of the film the sound of the film uh, the design of the robots the CGI whereas recently in the last few years kind of Lucasfilm and Disney seem to have kind of they've have failed when it comes to CGI here the CGI I don't know what companies they use but it is extraordinary the way they match you know um, these robots with people uh, it's just extraordinarily well done and so from a technical point of view I think it is extraordinary from a design and sound point of view I think it's extraordinary uh, but I found it quite dull after a okay. while just watching robots just so, crash so, into each other so mark it out of 10 I'll give it 6 6 out of 10 and if you were a 5 year old you'd probably give it 10, <laughs> 10 out of 10 ok now your second uh, movie is uh, the Covenant. Now, this is Guy Ritchie's uh, movie. This is, I remember reading something about this because some people thought that it was based on a true story. And, and I know he did extensive research on the Afghan conflict. This is the one about the interpreter, isn't it? Yeah. And in fact, the film was originally going to be called The Interpreter. and uh, But for some reason, they decided to change the name. I think The Interpreter is better yeah. Uh, kind of title because that's what the film is basically about really uh, it's another Afghanistan movie it's very yeah. much in uh, kind of the same kind of vein as films like The Outpost if you remember that was the one that had all the sons of all the very very famous actors like Scott Eastwood and uh, you know Mel Gibson's son do you remember that they were all famous uh, sons of yeah. famous yeah, actors yeah. Um, 12 Strong for example that was a, another Afghanistan movie this is more like kind of the look and feel of Lone Survivor I think the, the, right. the Mark Wahlberg film that was based on a true story he did get caught behind enemy lines and was helped by locals and uh, it was a very very good action movie and this is kind of very 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 similar uh, in this film uh, Jake Gyllenhaal he plays the character of Master Sergeant John Kelly and 
uh, he is kind of a special operations kind of uh, dude who uh, goes behind enemy lines uh, for operations. And once he's there, of course, he has an interpreter to help him. Um, and he meets uh, Ahmed, who is here played by an extraordinary man from uh, Iraq by the name of uh, Dar Salim. And he is very, very good indeed. Now, he's always kind of makes it quite clear to um, Jake Gyllenhaal that the only reason why he's doing this is because uh, for the money, for his family. And in reality, we find out that, uh, in fact, uh, he has a hatred of the Taliban uh, because uh, they killed uh, his brother. And um, and the thing is, of course, I've only just read recently, and one of the things what this film tries to address is the way which these interpreters uh, were were treated, especially when the Americans pulled out of Afghanistan mm-hmm. only recently. And apparently, I read, did I read somewhere that 300 interpreters uh, were, were murdered and killed? Uh, they weren't given visas. And that's initially, that's just what... And they were promised. And they were promised. They were indeed. And they, 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 they said, look, we're going to look after you and we're going to look after your families, but they were left behind. And so this kind of film kind of addresses that. So it's, the film is kind of in two parts. The first film is basically an old-fashioned war movie and is very, very exciting. It's not particularly kind of violent and explicit, you know, and um, a lot of the violence kind of happens uh, off screen. And it's like a, kind of an old-fashioned kind of a romp. The second half is about Jake Gyllenhaal's quest to try and get this man a visa for him and his family to bring them to the United States uh, because um, um, at one stage Jake Gyllenhaal becomes uh, injured and he is saved by the interpreter. He is saved by this man who carries him for miles upon miles over incredibly terrible terrain to save his life. Um, Jake Gyllenhaal goes back to America can't really remember very much of what happens because of the injuries, but when, as time and um, his memory comes back, he realises that the interpreter is still back in Afghanistan, and he is desperately then trying to uh, reconnect with him uh, to try and bring him to the United States. So for the first half of this, as I say, it's a really, really kind of rollicking, kind of old-fashioned, kind of war, kind of um, uh, action movie. And then the second film, it's a very, very different film, uh, which is basically about kind of Afghanistan politics. Uh, and obviously we're not going to give away um, how it ends, but, it, but, but what, it, what it absolutely reminds me of, a couple of weeks ago I spoke with the Irish Independent uh, journalist Ralph uh, Regal and he was talking about an Afghan interpreter who is affectionately known by, to the Americans as Rocky. He loved all things American, so he was called Rocky. A great guy and really helped the Americans. But exactly that, the Americans pulled out and he was left. He's now 18 months later in hiding from the Taliban and he knows his life is if he's caught by the Taliban, he will be murdered. And yep. he's trying to get out. And uh, some of the American soldiers who Rocky worked with are doing exactly what you talked about happens in the movie. They're trying to help him get out. But it's, it's, it was shocking that these people were left behind. Yeah, terrible. Yeah. So well done to Guy Ritchie for, for focusing on this and putting it into a movie. So it is called The Covenant. Is that, is that in the movies or is that on a streaming service? Uh, that is only on Amazon Prime, which What's I have, Amazon by the Prime. way. So, But it will okay. be, I'm sure, on other streaming services very soon. But right at this very moment in time, unfortunately, it is on Amazon Prime because I do recommend it. It is very, very good indeed. OK, mark, mark it out of 10? I'll give it 8. 8 out of 10. OK, listen, thank you for that. Have a You're lovely welcome. week. And... Uh, I've closed the wrong one. I've gone all over the place today. Uh, we will talk with Mark again uh, next week. John Meany wants to know the name of the journalist who I interviewed uh, earlier this morning. That was uh, Lara Marlowe. She's to be the... She's retired now, isn't she, as the Paris correspondent for the Irish Times, even though she's just arrived at the Irish Times. And she'll be at the Lismore Writers Festival uh, tomorrow morning and Sunday morning. There are still tickets available for the Sunday morning talk. If you just Google uh, Liz Meyer... 
uh, Writers uh, Festival. Cork City Council were back to us about those calls. We got in about the dead horse uh, lying in a laneway in uh, Knocknihini and they say they're aware of the uh, issue. They say the information initially that had been provided to Cork City Council was unclear in terms of the exact location of the animal because some people were critical that the council didn't react quickly enough. They say they're currently determining the specific location and will thankfully arrange to have that dead uh, animal removed. Can I wish the best of luck to everybody involved in the Bantry Bay Lions Club. Their second annual charity Bed Push Fundraiser is happening next Sunday half past 12 from the Slob Car Park in Bantry. Good luck to all involved. And that's where I have to leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing the programme all this week. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and we will be back with you on Monday morning at 10 o'clock. Until then I'm Patricia Messenger. Have a lovely afternoon and enjoy your weekend. Court today on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Even on a budget, quality is non negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.